Hello and welcome to It's an Arsenal Thing. I'm your host Tom and with me is a man who is a specialist in the art of idealism. Is that actually a word? (laughs) We don't know. Who frequently avoids any form of task which doesn't include beer, lounging or football. It's my silent friend, Dave Hutchinson. The podcast is brought to you by Manscaped at manscaped.com, the best in below-the-waist grooming, and we are offering you a 20% discount with an exclusive code for the Performance Package 4.0 Luxury Grooming Kit. We'll give you that code later in the show. Here we go again with a fixture list that keeps on giving three times a week. The last time Dave saw this amount of action was on a weekend to Amsterdam on Big John's Stag Do. We just can't go any further with that story, can we? Trust me. First up, we celebrate the life and 50-year career of the legendary commentator, John Motson. The trademark sheepskin with the microphone and the right words for every unfolding moment of football drama. 2,000 games, 29 FA Cups and 10 World Cup finals. Motty will be remembered in the same vein as David Coleman, Brian Moore and Ken Wollstone One of the true greats of the British game. On the menu tonight, we look at the clash between Leicester away at the King Power Stadium under the steely gaze of Brendan Buck Rogers. And we also report on the rescheduled game against Everton at the Emirates. I'm in the gun room with podcasters Jay, Lauren and Nick to discuss the encounter with the Foxes. And we also cast a BD knowing eye over the Everton clash prior to the game. It's an Arsenal thing, it's an Arsenal thing. Believe it or not, it's an Arsenal thing. With football and transfers, you know you'll bring. You're listening to It's an Arsenal thing. Arsenal news. Bukayo Saka has finally agreed a new contract worth £10 million a year and his new five-year deal takes him up to 2028. Never in doubt for me, the boy loves the club and the club loves the boy. There's increased speculation that Declan Rice will sign for Arsenal on a five-year deal worth £200,000 a week in the summer. We shall see. In other news, the champs are trying to offload Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to the MLS. Why is that, I wonder? Slackers FC and Lazy Bollocks United have already expressed no interest. Now, you know I send Dave scurrying off with pen and paper to find me a curious fact about one of our opponents. So far, we've had the Water and Steam Museum and we've had the Pen Museum. It can't get much wackier than that, can it? Well, it does, apparently. One of the more curious attractions online is the National Space Centre. Sounds good so far. The National Space Centre's car park, which apparently offers 400 parking spaces. Unusual, that in a car park, including 23 enhanced accessibility spaces, all charged at £4 pay and display for the whole day. Whoopee! Long way to go, though. It's hardly Thorpe Park, Disneyland or Legoland. It's time to enter the gun room for a natter. Hi, welcome to the gun room. How are you, Podders? Uh, with me tonight, I've got Nick. How are you, Nick? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for having me. As always, looking forward to getting the gang back together. You are always welcome. We are going to be joined by Jay in this bottom corner somewhere, but we've got Lauren from Barcelona. What's the weather like, Lauren? It was snowing last, uh, on yesterday, on Monday. So I woke up to a bit of snow, which I never thought I'd see in Barcelona, but you know. Strange what did you move happen. there for? <laughs> I don't know. I start questioning my, that myself. But Well, we are going to examine Arsenal's Premier League battle at the King Power Stadium against Leicester. 
We'll also break out the tissues because of the predictable, almost predictable WSL loss. Uh, we'll recap for the reasons uh, Arsenal slipping out of contention for the title as well. Obviously, they were in action against Chelsea at the weekend and it didn't go very well. But there are some positives to be had. Uh, but first, the podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below the waist grooming. We are offering a 20% discount at the end of this section of the podcast. And we will give you a code to get that off the Performance Package 4.0 Luxury Grooming Kit. Nick, every game feels mega important. It's kind of like everyone says, oh, it's a crucial game. It's a crucial game. But it is. It's the chase down at the end of the season. And I'm going to say it, Podders. We are in a title race. Finally, I'm going to admit it. It, Can we say that those, still? Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we have to, don't we? I mean, there's yeah, no getting away to. from it now. Yeah. Yeah, I think we denied it for so long, and now it's uh, it's here, which is great. I think I used to really get bothered um, it usually in the fall, beginning of season, when I'm hearing crucial games. And I'm like, there's plenty of points to be had, but this is a different scenario to where, especially when we're going against the beasts of Manchester City, when – you look at the great Liverpool teams and how they only came away with one league title. Um, not that that's a poor achievement, but those were great teams, but they were going up against uh, just the ultimate menace. I think this league has ever seen and that's who we're going against. So I think that makes, makes every game crucial Two huge, huge games this week. We have our game in hand and, um, and then another opportunity at home. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say any game, isn't crucial because we can only control what we can control and it's hard to see them slipping up. I mean, they could have it in them, but we need to take care of our own business. And that's exactly what Mikel's telling the team. And what else, what else more do you want your manager to say? It's pretty much the mantra, isn't it? It goes game by game and uh, we sort every game out individually. And then we worry about the, the roll on effects afterwards. Lauren, this fixture list is becoming very congested. That's to put it mildly. There could be consequences from this with the game stacking up and there, really. It could affect our chances in a title race, Podders. Of course it can, but, you know, we have to look at what we did in January. We strengthened in really, really crucial positions. We have Jesus coming back. Uh, Smith Rowe is training or is playing with the under-21s yesterday. You know, things are okay, and as long as we can keep the injuries at bay and everyone stays fit, obviously it's going to be more difficult with the games piling up with... You're up coming along as well, but as long as everyone stays fit, why not? You know, let's see what happens because City are going to suffer as well, I'm sure. Well, it's, it's quite, as you say, the the purchases that we made were very smart. They they weren't, as uh, you said, Nick, they weren't marquee signings. They weren't, you know, you didn't sort of pick up a newspaper and go, wow. But you can see the value they've added to the squad immediately. And it's very much this new Arsenal kind of signing Talking to Nick about Kiwiob, you've seen him in action, Nick. He was out for the under-23s, I believe. What sort of player is he? What's, what's he going to bring to the side? Yeah, I think it's crazy because that was yesterday in the U23 match and he played the first 45 and that's all that we saw from him. I only watched the, the highlights going around, but I think we're getting a similar player to Gabriel, probably um, – better on the ball at his age and not as physical, hard to get somebody more physical than big Gabby. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for him to have cover. And I, I don't know if we're going to see him in the Europa league games 
that's going to be the only time I could see him playing. Um, but yeah, just excited about the prospect. Great. Looked very calm on the ball composed. I know it's U23 and he's been playing um, in Serie A and that's, I mean, and played at the world cup. So U23 shouldn't be uh, an issue, but he hadn't played for a while and he's in a new team. Uh, I'm sure he's excited to get on. So yeah, I mean, Gabriel's been so um, kind of in the Granite Xhaka mold to where um, been very fit. Iron Man played every game, didn't play the World Cup, so he's really played everything after that. But I could see, yeah, I think for the sporting games, I could see Kivyar maybe getting a look um, to spell Big Gabby because we're gonna we're gonna have to rotate some. I mean, only fourteen league games left. But you're right, the congestion is make. I mean, because of the World Cup, you know, we're not at the same point of the season at in March. I mean in March here soon, we have more games left than we usually would. So yeah, I think players like him are going to be crucial when competing on both fronts. I, I am very worried about these games coming up because there's uh, there's such congestion. I mean, I'm just going to run through a few Everton, obviously on the first, then you've got Bournemouth on the fourth, then sporting on the ninth, Fulham on the 12th, sporting again on the 16th, Palace on the 19th, Leeds on the 1st of April. I don't know why they played a game on that date. <laughs> April Fool's Day. Come on. Liverpool on the 9th, West Ham on the 16th, and Southampton on the 21st. I mean, it's it's quite incredible. So after the thriller at the Villa, we were away to Leicester. Let's have a look at the lineup. It was pretty much a bit of cut and paste, wasn't it, to a great degree? 4-3-3, Ramsdale, Zinchenko, Gabriel, William Saliba, Ben White. Martin Odegaard, Jorginho, Granit Xhaka, Martinelli, Trossard. Now, that was a good one. And uh, Bakayo Saka. Zinchenko made captain as a mark of respect on the first anniversary of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. I thought that was a really classy little thing to do, didn't you, Lauren? Not everybody followed that script. (laughs) No, no, it was really great to see. And there was a really, you know, touching moment when... I think Zinchenko had just done the coin toss, whatever, ran back to the team and then the camera panned to Arteta on the bench and he was kind of fiddling with his little badge he had on. So obviously, you know, having Zinchenko in the team, the national captain of Ukraine, there's a lot of passion there. We know how passionate he is as a player anyway. So anything that he can use to inspire himself, you know he's going to use it and he can communicate that so well across the team. So, you know, obviously it's not good what's happening there. I'm not trying to say it is, but the emotion that he was able to bring to the team on the day was definitely noted and helped a lot throughout throughout our performance. Well, as I said, it doesn't go down well with everybody because here's a comment. Absolutely sick of sport making political statements, taking the knee, wearing rainbow armbands, Ukrainian badges, and now Arsenal names Inchenko as captain for the day. Can't read the next bit, but basically it's like fed up uh, with this bollocks. That wasn't a good comment. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers said that Leicester lacked aggression, which is not very Leicester-like, is it? It's not the Leicester that we know. Uh, the home crowd seemed very quiet. Can't get that because Jay's not on. But uh, there seems to be, over the last couple of seasons, a bit of apathy and indifference. It kind of sums up or it's drawn off their performances and their position, Nick. There's something going on down there. What's wrong with them? They've lost that sort of dynamic edge. 
when they won the FA Cup, they looked like they were going places. They had people like Schmeichel and Vardy was firing away. It all seems to be slipping away a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think their recruitment and replacing some of those um, those holdout title guys like Schmeichel. Um, I mean, Vardy's coming off the bench now. Tielemans is coming off the bench. Um, just not quite, not quite the guys that they need. I mean, sold Wesley Fafana, and I, I think they've just been struggling. I think when you go through so many cycles, traditionally you're you're not going to get some signings right, or not even going, maybe not even going to replace them. I know they had a pretty quiet summer window, if I can remember correctly, and we're a little busier this January. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, any January buy, you can argue, is maybe a little bit of a panic buy, not a plan ahead buy. So, yeah, I think the recruitment has been subpar um, for them to compete for the European places, and they're obviously not doing that. They've been a little better as of late, but uh, not having James Madison for this game against us was a huge plus for us. And uh, really limited. I mean, you, you saw how important he is, and uh, without him, it was hard to see. They don't where seem they're... to have much without him, do they? It's not that type of player they can call on. Yeah, who's going to create a chance? And uh, it's it's him for sure. Um, Arsenal looked sharp, Lauren, didn't they? With some crisp passing forward play, it was quite a dominant display yeah. with uh, Saka and Martinelli looking particularly good. What did you make of Trossard in this false nine position? It was an interesting one. I think, you know, a lot of people were kind of talking about he can play across the front three, but, you know, we didn't really see much from open play from him. He was definitely, you know, we can see that he's not a natural number nine from how he was playing. That being said, you know, obviously he's a great finisher. I'm sure we're going to talk about that as well at some point. But, you know, (laughs) you know, it's definitely not the player that you want to be coming in. You know, if if Jesus comes back and gets injured, I would still be way more for putting Nketi up there because he just has that natural edge. He's in the box when he's meant to be in the box, you know. But I mean, in saying that, it was a very dominant performance. I think it did have the potential to be one of those very frustrating afternoons for Arsenal where we've seen it a million times before. We're in we're complete control of the game. We're creating the chances, but there's just something missing, and it's the final touch. It's the final product in the box from a classic out and out and out number nine, which we definitely missed on the day. But you know, that being said, we were able to come away with three points, which is the main thing. But you know, Trussard offers something different. Um, he's such a dynamic player. He's it looks like he's been playing with Arsenal his whole life. I mean, if you were to show anybody highlights of his game they would not think that he's been with the team for just over a month two months now at this stage it's crazy it's really really promising and it's it's a pleasure to watch it's really really fun I think this is where Arteta uh, is doing his stuff with Edu they're they're getting this the the players with the right mentality Mm -hmm. the right appetite the right desire uh, and that's why they yes they've got Premier League experience but they're getting a similar type of player that they can bring in and they just slot in. Now, Nick, 26 minutes, Trossard. Um, talk us through that goal. What a goal it was. What a peach. I feel like as dominant as we've been and as good as we've been this season, we have, we've had a couple, but maybe not as many stunner goals as you would have thought. And this was in that category. A corner comes in, I believe it was Saka whipping it in. Danny Ward flaps out a little bit, doesn't get the strongest punch, went with his left hand, 
comes out to Xhaka, rolls it to Trossard, who does well to get his half step and to get in shooting range and may have put a hell of a strike top corner. I don't think Ward's saving that if he's in position or not. And you see Danny Ward go straight to the referee. I'm sure they won't get fined for that, but surrounding the referee for a questionable decision. Um, that's that's so petty of me, but that's what I think of right away. It's like we've We're had all with so you, many I'll times. Tell you. Yeah, I just, I mean, by by the letter that we've been judged, he should mm-hmm. still be fined for that because we were fined for a goal that was disallowed on VAR, and this was the same thing. Yeah, I thought it's so interesting because I have been a proponent of VAR. Um, I'm not a huge American football fan, but I think having one center referee refing 22 players on a pitch that size, there's no way they can see everything. Very much understand that. Um, so I'm all for calling um, calling the referee over to have them look at it from another angle. But anything in slow motion is going to look a foul. And I think keepers get quite protected. To me, what bothered me is that Danny Ward didn't fight to – break free and maybe he didn't even notice it but from that angle the ball was coming in he was always going to go left hand punch anyways he's not going to go up with two hands for that so what did ben white hold him yes could you could you understand the foul yes is it incredibly soft for sure and i just hate that's what gave the the goal away um because you could even argue it's a different phase of play uh, it was punched out Grant Shaka got it, rolled it. Trussard took multiple touches before he shot it. So I don't know. What bothers me, I think it's almost similar to an attacker to where if they try to stay on their feet, they don't get a penalty called. But if they go down easy, they get it called. And this is kind of Danny Ward's version of going down easy and he gets that call. So I think that's a really but, important point because hmm. the, the holding uh, didn't affect the actual ball going in the net, did, did it? I mean, what more could he have got on that to get the ball clear apart from that left hand? And it, was, it wasn't it was a bad left hand. I mean, I've seen worse trying to punch away. So it was almost like a, a different phase of play. And then they've kind of whisked it back. Is that what we're going to be doing? I'll just please you. Hold on a minute. Let me just get this, Podders. Uh, Neil Swarbrick, the head of Premier League's VAR operation, is set to retire at the conclusion of the season. Well, I hope you take up fishing because you're crap at VAR. Uh, <laughs> we, we'll wave you goodbye at the end of the season, that's for sure. Uh, as you say, Trossard took an extra touch. I thought he was going to shoot when he just sort of went to his right, but then he took another one. Um, it was a fantastic goal. I mean, it was a real pleasure. We've scored some peaches, but that was absolutely brilliant. Lauren, I'm going to take us back to the Brentford match. Leno was in goal. Do you remember the match? Mm-hmm. He was on his line. Uh, Leno wasn't one of those goalkeepers, you know, that dominates his own area. And that's one of his big problems. That was one of the things that let him down. Now, on that goal line, as that ball came in for whether it was a free kick or a corner, he was actually shackled, properly shackled. You could see the player on the line holding his arm. I mean, that wasn't given. So why was this one when you've got Ben White? I'm not even sure he knows that's the goalkeeper's arm. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't. He, he didn't exactly turn around and go. Oh, well, there you are. I'll have that glove. Mm. So I don't yeah. really understand. Do you? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, when I went to VAR, you're kind of thinking, what are they checking for here? A foul? But like, you know, the keeper was on his feet. He got the punch away. So you, the first thing you think is offside. But 
then you see what they're actually checking for. And I, I will admit that the, I suppose the reverse angle from what we saw, it did look, and as Nick said, in slow motion, it probably looks more sinister than it is. But even then you have to think about it in the context of the game and the context of, you know, is the keeper able to make an attempt at it? Would it be given, you know, we've seen so many times. There was also the game against, um, was it Aston Villa this season? Mm-hmm. When, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lewis, um, what's his name? David Lewis goal corner kick went straight in and Ramsdale was absolutely pinned to the line. He couldn't do a thing like, and that was the loud stand. It's just, it's the inconsistencies. It's the inconsistencies for me that are, it's just becoming a joke at this stage. And, you know, you're either going to laugh or you're going to cry about it, but oh, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. Well, yeah. here's, here's a couple of bits here. Ian Wright, I put Ian Wright, right, right. I don't know why I typed that. <laughs> Ian Wright was fuming. He said, that's a ridiculous decision. It's a phenomenal mistake. If White's hold is a foul, why isn't the hold called when Saka is held? That yes. would be nice. Some consistency. Gary Lineker. Uh, writing on his Twitter page, the former England international wrote, Arsenal have had a goal ruled out after VAR intervened. As a Leicester fan, I felt relieved but bemused by a decision that could not be described under any circumstances as a clear and obvious error. I think we'll leave that one there because we're just going to get annoyed, aren't we? And just... <laughs> Or rub something <laughs> into the screen. A few minutes later, there were claims for a penalty after Bakayo Saka tangled with one of the defenders. It was waved away by Pawson. Alan Shearer said on Bakayo Saka not getting the penalty during the Arsenal win over Leicester, I don't care if it's accidental or, or he slips. He actually takes Saka down because of that. The ball was coming in, whether it's towards him or not, but he takes Saka out. It's a foul. It's a penalty. It might be accidental. So what? He's wiped him out. Agree with that, Nick? hundred percent. I don't think you can take that goal away if I'm Ben White and then see that Saka one and not, mm-hmm. not give it. Like to me, why can't in this, again, the, the inconsistencies and I don't, we're never going to get there ultimately, but this <laughs> seems so easy as a situation again to where maybe the ref, maybe Craig Pawson didn't have the best angle. VAR, he could have gone over 30 seconds, watch it again. He, if he looks at it again, he's for sure calling that. But what bothers me about VAR, if you've ever refed a game, I mean, they're all refed differently. You, there's certain things that are slight fouls that you, one ref calls, and there's some that another ref does not call. It's all the style. But with VAR, now it's being refereed by two different people and two different beliefs on what's the foul. And I, I just, to me, I, I mean, obviously as an Arsenal fan, I wouldn't have bothered. It wouldn't have bothered me how long it took him to go over to the board and look at it if he called it a penalty. I guess even if he goes and looks at that and decides that's not a penalty, then, uh, okay, I, I guess, I mean, he looked at it again and for some reason didn't think that was. But I, I think, I don't want this to happen with every goal scored, but I don't know, like, I don't think you can do that with the first one and not do that with the second one. That's uh, This is the thing, isn't it? This is the maddening thing. It's the bloody inconsistency of it all. I mean, myself and Lauren were talking the other week and said, the technology is fine. There's nothing wrong with the technology, but train these people up to make it work. Because you don't get it in other sports. It's just football. And in this country, it seems to... I don't know. They probably give them an half an hour lesson or something. Uh, it's just maddening and infuriating. Um, 
I, I don't know what we're going to do. We talked about suspending it until they could get it right, until they got the right people on board. Um, maybe that's something to look at. Uh, Lauren, 46 minutes, Martinelli scores. Uh, I put in my notes here, Omri-esque, which is, uh, <laughs> it was though, it just reminded me of Omri on that left-hand side, cutting in, uh, dribbling down the left flank, Trossard pokes the ball through the legs mm. of a Leicester player, in front, Martinelli. And this is what we were talking about, Martinelli. When people were criticising him, his strength is actually playing the ball up and in front of him. If it's going to be in his path, this is Martinelli's strength. Trossard did it. Uh, Tierney does it. Um, so, and, and Jesus is obviously phenomenal with Martinelli, and that's where it works. So uh, Martinelli puts the boosters on, gets into the box. It was it was unstoppable, wasn't it, really? This boy has got it in the locker. He is a superstar in the making. Absolutely. It was an interesting, you know, first half from Martinelli. I was watching it here. And I'll be honest, it was kind of a frustrating performance as well, a little bit. I kind of was expecting more from him. And I actually was of the opinion, you know, half time, get him off, uh, Trossard over to the left and let's play uh, Enkedia up up front. That's what I was thinking initially. Um, It shows you why I'm not the Arsenal manager and Mikel Arteta is. (laughs) But, um, you know, again, that was... Phenomenal. And that's, you know, even the way that they switched Trossard and Martinelli, the, the defenders couldn't deal with them. It was amazing from Trossard, the finish from Martinelli, but I couldn't even celebrate the goal when he went down because I just thought, oh God, what, what's going on here? It's, we're going to a season without him now. But, um, you know, it, it just goes to show that he has talent in bucket loads and a bit of patience, a bit of time and the right support from the players. And he is more than capable of getting goals of creating chances and putting them away. So, yeah. I think before we got Trossard, I would have been um, praying at some sort of altar for Martinelli to get up and be all right. But we've got, somehow we've got these players now. We've got uh, ESR to come back. We've Mm. got Jesus. It doesn't seem as imposing or the end of the world or anything, does it, If, if they are injured, but you don't want them to be injured, obviously. Nick, 55 minutes, Saka's deemed offside. Martinelli rushed onto a pass from Odegaard. Uh, some of that guy's passing, it, it was just fantasy football, wasn't it? Uh, one-to-one with a goalkeeper, totally unselfish. He passes it across to Saka, who's got a simple finish. However, the flag goes up, uh, Martinelli uh, in an offside position. Um, uh, again, it's me. It's probably me, but they, they put that flag up well late, don't they? Um, sometimes you can see a player uh, like the Leicester player. Um, what was his name? Ian Acho, whatever it is. Um, and he was at least two feet offside uh, in anybody's book. I mean, you know, putting the flag up after you've gone, yeah, well, it might be. But it was really obvious again. So the clear and obvious isn't really obvious. And uh, it's just it's just a mind melt, isn't it? Mm. Um, there was a suggestion of a spat at the end of the game, Nick, between Gabriel and Saliba with some afters. Uh, I didn't really see too much of it. I wasn't really interested in that. Um, it's a good thing to have that kind of tension in a team, isn't it? You know, pull your socks up and all that sort of thing. There's nothing bad in it. Yeah, I, I think that was proven after to be um, much of nothing. But you know how the media loves to find a way to, to take away our three points or celebration police or whatever. I mean, 
I think it's pretty clear this is a very tight-knit group with limited egos. And I think Saliba and Gabrielle are quite quite close, both having spent time in Liga. And um, I believe Gabrielle speaks some French, so they get on that way. But uh, the best center-back partnership in the league. Um, and I think I, I have no idea. Distance. No doubt. I, and I think that if if they had a disagreement about something, they're holding a standard. Um, and that's why we're in the position that we're in. I have no idea what it was, but they seem to be laughing um, in other photos after the game. So, yeah, I mean, you trust by the time they leave the dressing room, it's probably sorted. And it's nothing but the media really loves to make a big deal. And it's like, what what can we what can we get at them with, you know? Um, and they're just well, we had it all with all or it. nothing, didn't we? With the Suarez and Lacazette thing, where he had him round mm-hmm. the throat, yeah. and that all worked out. So, uh, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, at the end of the day, Arteta diffused the whole thing, as he said, uh, of the pair. Uh, they are a happy marriage, he laughed. Uh, <laughs> they love playing with each other. Uh, I think you should rephrase that. Uh, but they are really demanding with each other, which is good. Everything is fine. Uh, the only thing I was going to say about Zinchenko must have been a very emotional day for him. But blimey, that was a sloppy header to give away to uh, for Iheanacho to race onto, wasn't it? Any, anyone? I can't remember that one. I, remember that one. <laughs> I can't it? either. It was their only um, attempt on goal, I think. It was their only one. Their, their <laughs> only clear one. And you've forgotten Just about it. So you, irrelevant. So. so irrelevant. I can't even remember it. <laughs> it. It was such an odd game to where mm. we were in such ultimate control. Yeah. But even before their one shot, all it was going to take is one touch of the ball. And yeah. we were going to be in the position to drop points. Yeah. Um, it's just the duality of the game at times. <laughs> right. Well, here's some uh, facts and figures. Leicester had just one shot. That was the one, the one you forgot about. Uh, they're <laughs> yeah. lowest on record since 2003, 2004 in a single Premier League game. It's also the fewest a home team has had in the Premier League game since Crystal Palace against Chelsea in 2021. Arsenal have won five consecutive league games against Leicester for the first time since October 1932. I wasn't a twinkle in my dad's eye. Uh, And three consecutive away league games against the Foxes for the first time since September 1925. Interesting facts, Podders, we're giving you here. (laughs) Old Dave's done his research um, let's get on to Jorginho. Um, still got his detractors. There's not as many as there was. Um, but Nick, what did you make of his performance? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I think in games like that, where almost dissimilar to the Everton game, where they have some major athletes in the middle, he looks really good. I think in games where we're in control, have majority of the possession, there's not much more you can ask from him. And I think we've erased the the ceiling and the floor of our technical quality, and that is in hopes of keeping the ball longer and having to not sprint back when somebody loses the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's I, I think before or even during the season, if you could say if there's one player that we missed um, that we'd be in trouble without, it was Thomas Party, um, mm-hmm. and we saw that last year, and especially without El Nini, you think what in the world could we have done? And just, you just really have to applaud the business and 
by the end of May, we'll really know how valuable that signing was. But I thought he did a, a, a fine job as well. He had a great pass to Saka. Um, he's starting to really break some lines. Just a very progressive passer, which Party does that. I think Party carries a little farther, but his defensive, he breaks up so much. But I think Jorginho, so interesting, always receiving on the half turn, um, seems to drop a shoulder and get out of things very quickly. So yeah, very talented for sure. Very um, a veteran presence on the ball. Just one of those players where sometimes we're, uh, playing in our own box and he comes in and you know if we give it to him clean enough you can trust him even with a guy on him to do something with it and I think that's a key part to our play so yeah I thought he was uh, very solid once again. Again I think it's a, a solid purchase I suppose the most obvious thing Lauren is he hasn't got the legs as he he's uh, he's not a quick boy bless him but he, he makes up for it in other ways as Nick's just said. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, when you think about the players we have at the back, Saliba, he's plenty of pace, you know, Gabriel as well. In most scenarios, you would imagine that they'd be able to get back quick enough and cover in, you know, if, if needed. But what Jorginho brings has been, I mean, so far he's been really the game changer this half of the season with Partey out. I mean, I think if, you know, we hadn't assigned a Premier League proven, let's not forget Ballon d'Or nominated player, you know, he's he's got the winning uh, in a system he knows what it's like he knows what it takes to push the team and that's really really important as well definitely definitely um going to help us continue on this title charge yeah it's um i i just think every time i watch him play now that was an inspired piece of business mm-hmm. no matter what anybody else says um when you can upgrade on el nenny which isn't that hard i would have got my cat in some shorts surely <laughs> It's, it's like, you know, party goes off, which is like the brain surgeon. And then you bring in a bricklayer to do some surgery. It's that type of thing when El Nelly was about. Let's do Jorginho's game by numbers against Leicester. 95 touches, which was the most. 68 passes completed, the most. 10 possessions won, that was the most. Three tackles made, the most. Seven duels won, one interception, one foul. I think we can say, Podders, safely, Hand on heart, manscaped heart. There we go. Just give it a plug again. Um, we can say that he had a good game. Right, let's do the stats. Uh, we could do Leicester first. Obviously, they're the uh, the hosts. One shot to Arsenal's 10. Zero shots on target. Uh, that's because of that, uh, that offside. And two for us. 34% possession for them, 66% for us, 315 passes, 613 for us, 68% pass accuracy for them, 82% for us. So those figures just back up what a dominant performance we had right the way across the pitch. Uh, Lauren, WSL, I'm, I've come off the tee. I'm going to go on to the wine to commiserate <laughs> with the girls. Uh, nice, cheeky, cheeky little Chardonnay. Um, yeah. So, have you got red wine there, Lauren? You don't no, have. not tonight. Not tonight. Um, I drowned my sorrows this weekend, so I'm trying to be good during the week. <laughs> oh, very disappointing. Uh, yeah, we, we were up against Chelsea, uh, which saw us run out of gas uh, mm. against the machine-like Chelsea. The Blues have had the upper hand of late. They thrashed Arsenal in the 2020-21 season uh, before the Blues defeated Idavell's team in the semi-final last season. Emma Hayes, I mean, what can you say about this woman? Um, she goes into hospital. The team keeps winning and keeps grinding out results. It's, mm. it, she's instilled this mentality. It's a, 
It's a solid cast iron mentality about winning. She's got durability, but she's also got quality and flair as well. And we're going to talk about some of those players, but it's, mm-hmm. you've got to admire that team, haven't you? Even though you don't want to really. A hundred percent. I think, you know, when we look at Arsenal, there's so much quality there, but something's not clicking at the moment. I mean, we're in a very unfavorable situation. So this game was actually in the FA Cup. This was, I don't remember what round it was, but we just bet City the last round, Chelsea this round. But I mean, we're still fairly early on in the competition. So we're coming up against really, really tough uh, opponents early on. We're, you know, we're, (laughs) they're making us work for it. And unfortunately we fell flat this weekend. Emma Hayes, she just has the upper hand. She's a tactician. Like she's a genius. Everything she touches Turns to gold, really. And, and you wouldn't argue with her, would you, Lauren? Never. If, if there were two me. sausages in a pan <laughs> and she wanted both, you'd let her have them, wouldn't you? Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, it's 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 difficult to admit, but I have a lot of respect for her for what she's done for the game. And, you know, when we think about the league as it is, the WSL, the WSL League, you know, the top four teams, there's only one female manager. So, you know, she's proven she can do it. She can, you know... She's she's more than capable of putting it up to the lads who are managing. So, you know, it, you have to you have to look at it, I suppose, objectively. And as much as it pains me to say it, she she is incredible. Lauren, we've spoken about the absence of Miedemar and me. That's all mm. coming home to roost now, isn't it? Our failure to actually <laughs> lock down a, a, a proven striker in in the window um, yeah. that's going to cost us big time. And you can see. Uh, we didn't really take our chances. We had opportunities, but we just didn't have that vital clinical edge to mm-hmm. see at home. Absolutely. You know, I think it probably was our strongest team. You know, we had Blackstinia starting in the number nine position. We had none of our new signings starting. So it was a team that should know each other well, that have played together more than once. Um, and it just it just didn't click, you know. It, we just really are missing that final touch. And as I said, everything that we're lacking, Chelsea have at the moment in abundance. And they were able to capitalise on their chances. You know, Has even the though we were... gone, Lauren? Is it, is it one of those? The confidence, since the so. two main front uh, girls have gone, the confidence has just totally dipped. Yeah, I think it, it probably is that. Obviously, missing two of the greatest players in women's football. But I think... The manager doesn't really know what he's doing either. Idaval, he seems to be chopping and changing an awful lot. We spoke last week, you know, um, Jordan Nobbs went to Aston Villa. She's able to, she's scoring goals there. You know, she wasn't even getting started at Arsenal. Uh, Iwabuchi gone to Spurs. She's also getting goals and assists. So it's not as if the team are lacking talent. I think it is predominantly on the manager's inability to manage the team's talents at the moment and to use them in the best way possible, which we're seeing from, unfortunately, some of our best talents leaving in the January window. And, do, you know, do you think he's going to last, Lauren? It's tough. I think it's very difficult, especially a lot of people have a lot of um, compassion towards him, given the injuries that we've had this season. Me to Miedema, I mean, there is some crazy statistic that in the last five years, they've started 90% of Arsenal games. So obviously they're hugely important to our success over the past few years. And I think it's definitely something that no one could have prepared for losing these two massive players alongside all the other injuries that we've had this yeah, season. Yeah, you can't so, legislate for that. You can't plan no. around that, can you? It's, it, no. It'd be like us losing Enketia and Jesus uh, straight away exactly. in the men's game. So Exactly. Um, Lauren, walk us through the um, the team so we can remind everyone mm-hmm. how 
how we failed miserably. <laughs> While you're doing you know, that, I'll have a glass of Chardonnay. <laughs> it was actually a decent team. I saw it and I thought, you know, this is probably the best team we could field at the moment. So we had Zinsberger in goal, uh, Wienreuter, Williamson. Then we had um, Rafaela, centre-back pairing. Steph Catley was in the team. It's also worth noting that this game took place on Sunday, three or four days after the last international games took place. A lot of these players, you know, we had two Australian players coming back, Sam Kerr for Chelsea as well. They had an incredibly, incredibly short turnover time, the space of three days traveling from Australia back, you know. Uh, midfield, Valti, Little and Manon was back in the team. And then the front three of Blackstinius in the number nine position with Ford on the left and McCabe on the right. So, you know, you look at that team and you don't see very many weaknesses. I think what we do see straight away is just that lack of immediate threat in front of goal, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I mean, it was it was nice to see Manon, and she had mm-hmm. a great effort early on. Black Stinius was clean through and then hoofed it high over the bar. 21 minutes, Arsenal's defence were too hesitant by a country mile, wasn't they? Mm-hmm. Lauren James, who uh, we're, you're probably going to talk about as uh, <laughs> a hell of a player because she basically is. Uh, she picked up on the ball on the right of Arsenal's side. Uh, no one offered anything. Didn't even put a challenge in, did they? I was waiting no. and waiting and waiting. They give her so much room. And she mm-hmm. just popped it through to Sophie Ingle, a left footer, bottom corner. Uh, let's talk about James. Uh, she's yeah. an amazing talent, isn't she? Incredible. You know, really, really good. And as I mentioned, the international break was there. She was playing with England. She was scoring. She was getting assists. She won. So there was a mini tournament thing that went on. It's kind of preparation for the World Cup coming up this summer. And England played. It was South Korea, Italy and another team that I can't remember now, which basically won every game. And Lauren James picked up player of the tournament. I mean, she's unstoppable. She really is candidate for um, player of the year in the WSL. No one can touch her. She she makes it look so easy. The ball doesn't leave her feet when she's running like um, obviously, they were it's frightened of her as well, weren't they, Lauren? In, in that particular goal, uh, they just stood off. They didn't know what to make of her. She just uh, just turned on the boosters and just kept going. Absolutely, you know, it looked like she didn't have a care in the world. She was enjoying it. She didn't look like she broke a sweat. It was too easy for her, unfortunately, and we suffered. I mean, you can't give her, you cannot give her any space because she will pick passes like that and cut a defence open in a heartbeat. Chelsea managed to defensively soak up everything Arsenal chucked at them, didn't they? Um, we couldn't really cut anything uh, sort of productive-wise. It wasn't a convincing end product for us. Um, they were organised, quick to break. And then Sam Kerr, deadly at the top of the pitch in front of goal, wasn't they? Uh, wasn't she? Uh, 54 minutes, there was an attempted save from uh, Caitlin Ford. Right-footed shot from just outside the box, which was saved the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, 56 minutes gone. Chelsea delivered the moment that we didn't want to see. Sam Mm -hmm. Kerr, she's she's one of these players that she just disappears. And you think, oh, she's out of the game. She's phased right out. They've done a really good job on her. Then she just picks it up. Right-footed shot from the centre of the box, uh, assisted by Kankovic. I did get that right this week, didn't I? <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, no, you know, like, it's exactly like what happened when we played Chelsea in the WSL and the Emirates. You know, we were 1-0 up, and in the last kick of the game, Sam Kerr put away a header. She is such a threat, and she has this amazing ability of 
almost conceding, conce- concealing herself within the game, making you forget she's there, and then she will, she'll get you when you least expect it. And unfortunately, that was the case. But you know, as I said, this is a woman who was playing in Australia three days before. She had the journey back, and she's able to. Yeah, that was her 100th goal for Chelsea. You know, she's unstoppable as well. And yeah, it's just that's, that's she produces kind of... this thing, Lauren. It's a bit like Erling mm. Haaland, kind of yeah. uh, very slow to go forward, then hits the boosters, and then jiggles into the right place. And she knows mm-hmm. exactly where to be. Uh, phenomenal skill. Mm-hmm. Um, Ford nearly got us a consolation goal, but at the end of the day, Chelsea rode their luck when they had to. Uh, but they took their goals in the key moments of the game. No complaints apart from at Arsenal's lack of action in getting a striker in January, as we said. And what's worse, what's <laughs> absolutely worse, Podders, is we've got them again, which is really disappointing. The WSL yeah. Cup on the uh, March the 5th at 1500. Um, yeah. what, can we have any hope for that, seeing as we've got, we've, we've got a gun with no bullets in it? <laughs> it's tough. I think... You know, a lot of people kind of went into this weekend aware of past weekend, aware of what this game meant. You know, it was the warm up for the for the Conti Cup final, the, the League Cup final. Um, Arsenal are meant to be the queens of the FA Cup. You know, we have such an amazing record in that. And even there, we couldn't string anything together. It's going to be very tough. And I think Chelsea will go into that fixture with an awful lot of confidence and Arsenal not so much. So... We'll have to just stay hopeful. Hopefully things work out and the manager can find his best starting eleven. Hopefully this week it comes. But um, you know what can you do? I'm I'm not I'm not hedging any bets on it. Unfortunately. See, I quite like it when you're like this, Lauren, because when you, <laughs> you get all down in the dumps, we suddenly pull it out of the hat. That's that's the only thing I can ha- hang on to. Really. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It was the same with the Leon game, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, didn't give us hope, did you? And we really sorted them out. Right, let's do the match stats. Uh, Chelsea first, 43% possession, 57 for us, seven shots for them, 20 for us, although it didn't feel like it. Three shots on target for them, 11 for us. Again, it's a lopsided thing because I didn't feel that strong about it. Three corners to our seven, six fouls to our five. Uh, we've got to be concerned as well that the league position is we're going to try to claim a Champions League spot, not go for the title this year now, are we? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you know, and... Sorry, Podders, to be so down high. It's it's not the Chardonnay, it's it's the tea. Um, But it's reality, isn't it, really? Unfortunately, you know, and I think at the start of the season, it probably would have been the other way around. I would have been hoping for Champions League spot for the men and, you know, going for the title with the women. But anyway, look, it's fine. Uh, as long as I have some bright light in my life, I'll be able to, to cope with whatever goes on. But, uh, you know, we, we won't lose any hope yet. As long as we can get those Champions League spots, it's not only important for, you know, morale and whatever, but to, to be able to keep the players that we have. We saw Man City suffered an awful lot last season when they missed out on Champions League places, losing basically their whole midfield. So we obviously want that to, or don't want that to happen for Arsenal's sake. Right, let's have a look at the table. Uh, Man United women played 13, uh, 32 points. Chelsea women played 12 games, got 31 points. Man City, 13 games, 29 points. And Arsenal currently in fourth, 12 games, 26 points. Uh, Still lots to do, but if it's on goal difference, we're going to be a bit stuck, I think. Quick update on the World Cup, which could be a fiasco at this rate. Lauren, what's going on? It sounds bad news. 
Yeah, so the big news this week was um Ven I think her name's Wendy Reinhardt. She's a French friend sorry, I can't speak now, French defender, she's captain of Leon. She actually has been named in every consecutive women's best eleven this FIFA award. Every year since its inception, she's been named in it. Like this is the level, the quality that we're dealing with here. She announced that she's not going to the World Cup. She will not be representing France. She stood down basically because she was unhappy with the treatment she was receiving from the Federation. She said that the basic needs of the players weren't being met for her own mental health. She had to step down and she hoped that this would inspire the um, French Federation to take action. And I believe since then that the manager has actually stepped down. And even if I am correct, the president of the whole organization has also resigned um, I think I saw that on Twitter today. So, look, it's crazy news. I think it, t- it took the whole world by storm. This is after news of the Canadian women's national team coming out and saying, we're not getting paid the same as the men. This is your last chance to pay us or else we're not going to, you know, we're going to go and strike, basically. We're not going to represent at the World Cup. Um, there was problems. Do you, do you know what's really sad, Lauren? Is the massive strides that the women's game has yeah. taken. And then you've got this at a time that you don't really bloody need it. You need to consolidate with what you've got. And then you've got this, which is a complete balls up. And it's uh, individual countries and federations not actually uh, taking it seriously. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, in a way, it's great that a lot of the countries are, you know, I mean, the perfect example is, as you know, England with the lionesses, like what they've achieved is incredible, but that's because they've received the resources and, you know, they've been invested in properly. And then you see other great nations, other great talents who just haven't received that. And, you, you know, you have to feel for them. And at the same time, you know, obviously it's very disappointing as a fan of the game to see people, you know, amazing talents like this who are stepping down saying we can't represent our country, but you have to understand where they're coming from and that they feel it's a necessary steps to push the game further in the right direction. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people in power don't see it like that or they don't feel threatened by their by a lot of the stands people are taking. We've seen with the uh, Spanish women's team, for example, 15 of their best players basically uh, denounced themselves from the team until the manager's fired and he's still in charge. And none of them, I mean, we're talking about Alexia Puteas, the majority of the women who play for the Barcelona team, crazy talent who you know, don't feel that their needs are being met by their national federations and are unable and unwilling to represent them at a national level, which is really disappointing, but, you know, understandable as well. But it's it's tough. It's tough to know what to do or what's the best way to go around it, because obviously we want we want everything to improve. But when they're improving at different rates, it's hard to expect these players to to put themselves in the position that they don't feel that they're being supported enough, you know. I just really hope it doesn't damage the game uh, because it's it's taken huge strides. Here's uh, a little post from Flops on Twitter. Uh, a World Cup where we won't get the best women's football purely because of federations not taking their women's team seriously really doesn't feel like a World Cup right now. And we can only endorse that. Either get behind it or get out, sort mm-hmm. it out because uh, you're damaging the women's game. It's taken incredible steps in the last few years, especially on the back of the Lionesses. And on TV, there is, I can't remember, it might be Sky, uh, Lionesses. Uh, there's a little documentary on that. So uh, go over and have a look at that. Uh, right then, on to the Everton 
game at home. We need to grab three points, don't we? We say that every week, don't we? This is a game that's <laughs> going to be slightly different, isn't it? Because it's got the Emirates vibe about it, Nick. Yeah, I I worry that Everton's going to play the same way, but I think it's going to be hard for them to play the same way and get away with it twice. The kind of caveman tactics, as I call it, dice, classic Burnley stuff. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know how many goals this game has in it, but I think it certainly is different at home um, compared to being away in that atmosphere. New manager bounce at Goodison Park. That was tricky for us. And to be fair, we probably should have got something out of it. Um, I think Definitely. an early goal, an early goal gives us everything we need. No dominant Calvert Lewin. He was really good for them. Um, provided a great outlet, battled um, in the air. And I think we saw uh, in our last game, we played Leicester without an aerial outlet. Gabrielle and Saliba just pound everything back and we win it and then we go again. So I trust that's more of the same week. I'm trusting, uh, expecting them to start Neil Mope up top. So we have some unfinished business with him <laughs> and Everton as a whole. So I, I can expect Mikel to be in the dressing room making sure everybody knows what the situation is. <laughs> I think he's going to use that game as massive motivation. Uh, as we said, everything's crucial and uh, life depends on every game that we play at the minute, but it really is a big one. We need to just get some points on the board again, just keep the pressure on City because they've got some quite easy fixtures coming up. Um, Lauren, can Everton survive? But they're, they're, I mean, they've had, Quite a bit of success under Sean Dyche, but they, they're sort of mm. hit and miss at the minute. Can they survive under Sean Dyche? He's got the experience. He's got the know-how how to keep them up. Yeah, I think if they're going to do it under any manager, it'll be him. Um, I think we've seen that they can play in a not the most attractive way. You know, they don't play the most attractive football under him, but they definitely play in a way that's going to sustain them and that will keep them up. Um, he's a very intelligent manager. It's a massive football club as well. You would think that we we saw last season as well. They had enough to kind of carry them over the edge and to keep them up, you know, with a less favourable manager, shall we say, or less experienced <laughs> manager. So you would like to think that, I mean, I don't think any of us want to see everything go down. They're, as I mentioned, you know, they're a respectable club and they offer an awful lot to the... Hey, there you go, Paul. We're offering you a lot of support. And love. <laughs> You're not on the podcast at the moment. You might be on the next one, but we're offering you support and love. That's what we're doing. Exactly, exactly. So I think you know it, it's definitely a team you'd like to stay see up. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they. I think they will have enough to keep them going. I think there's a lot more teams in von- more vulnerable situations, and I think Everton have the manager and they have the support behind them to to push them over the edge to keep them up. Nick, um, Everton stay up this season, uh, survive last game. They're still there knocking about the bottom, the fringes. Um, what do they have to do next season to stop this happening? Because it's, it's virtually every year. It's an annual event, isn't it? Everton on the verge of relegation, <laughs> the annual event. Do come along, buy your tickets. I would love if they actually went down. So, <laughs> Ooh, okay. Oh, Paul. I, I know. Sorry, Paul. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I do think they stay up. I think Actually, that, you come up with that. It might sort them out because they've been a hell, in a hell of a mess for years, haven't they? They haven't really sorted their shit out. So uh, yeah, sometimes I, I, you have to go down to get yourself together. Yeah, I think I think Deutsch was a great appointment and he should have more resources. 
at Everton than he did at Burnley. So if there's any manager that I know that can come in and uh, solidify the back line, it's Deitch. So I would let him do what he wants to do with the back four. Um, I assume they'll keep keep Pickford. Um, if, if they leak leak less goals, they're going to be in much better shape. They're st- they're, I think they're always going to struggle to recruit top-level attackers. Um, I don't think that's going to going to change. Um, so they're going to have to maybe get lucky in the window to try to find uh, bargain rate players or just get lucky with them to create more goals. But I think, yeah, I think Deutsch will keep them up. And I think him taking care of the back line, I mean, Seamus is, Coleman is aging. Um, I think Cody and Tarkovsky are a decent center back pairing with Pickford. I mean, Pickford will keep, should keep them up. I mean, he's England's number one, so I'd like to think he's good enough for Everton if uh, you're looking to do something, maybe not compete for Europe, but solidifying the back is first and foremost, and I think Daesh will be able to do that. And then from there, it's seeing uh, seeing how they can create chances. I think there's going to be a clear out as well, isn't there? It's inevitable. He's got a lot of driftwood there. Mm. Um, and the only way you can free up funds, although that sounds mad, because uh, they've got the money to actually reshape the squad. But uh, he's going to have to shift to to start bringing in. Um, I've got a couple of things before we go, Podders. So sit back, relax, enjoy the Chardonnay. I will. Um, predictions for this game. Let's, uh, let's start with you, Lauren. I know you love it. Come on, secretly <laughs> you love it. Yeah, you know, I think this... I'm confident. I'm quite confident for this game. I'm going to go for two, I think two one. Two one. I think two one. Yeah. I think we're a bit, we're, we kind of leak goals at home, you know. It's been too straightforward the last game. I think we're going to go one nil down and then have to come back or something, you know. Not sure. (laughs) I don't like that. I like it in the end. I can't take it. Nick, your prediction. I, I mean, I agree with Lauren that I always think we're going to leak goals at home because we have. I mean, mm, we've yeah. kept eight eight clean sheets on the road already, which is, I mean, I think that ties Jens Lehmann's record already. <laughs> and we have 14 games left, so we've been tremendous away from home. Um, I'm going to go 2-0. Um, I hope we get one early, control it, yeah. kill the game off. Um Lauren, I do think you're right to where last game was too straightforward. <laughs> like it's uh it would be too easy for us to uh just come out. I mean, we're definitely better than them, but Dyche always has something up his sleeve and we've really struggled with his teams over the last couple of years. So yeah, I worry about um I, I think Thomas Party comes back in. I don't know if Jorginho can hang against Decore, Onana. Yeah, they overrun uh, us in the midfield, didn't they? So uh, we need party time. back. Definitely. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder if we see Trossard uh, continue to keep his place because it's going to be another low block. And I think Trossard um, is probably more adept to unlocking that than Enkedia. And if we need a goal, Enkedia can come on 55th, 60th minute and we have another attacker as we really try to, to pin them in. But I, I think that Trossard start was interesting i don't want him to do that for an extended time but mm. he seems to drift out left because he's a winger 
And then Martinelli came in perfectly on their goal. And that was really similar to how Jesus linked up with Martinelli. So maybe the Trossard playing Trossard gets more out of Gabby. Um, we know Saka is always somebody who's going to be dangerous. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping for two nil, hoping for an early goal and um, another one to kill the game off. That would be great. Well, I was going to go two nil, but you've had that. So uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go right over the top. Yes, Poggers, right over the top, over enthusiastic, carried away, four one. I like it. I'm going to. Re- we're going to go for it. Um, right, I was having a look at the upcoming fixtures, right? And uh, City have Newcastle on the 4th and the Slippery Gig at Palace on the 11th. Mm-hmm. After that, there's 11 games left, 33 points, with Liverpool, Arsenal and Brighton, the pick of the bunch. Uh, those games are really, like, nine points there available that could really sort out who's first, who's second. Those three games, Liverpool, Arsenal, Brighton. Where City's concerned, what do you think, Lauren? Yes, I mean Liverpool. You know, this <laughs> I just need to think because Liverpool this season, you don't really know what Liverpool you're going to no, get. You, you know, no. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think. But going if, through the list, you could see like there were these games with the potential banana skins. Obviously, mm. you know, little little or smaller perceived smaller clubs, and then you For get sure. these these. Brighton's a tricky one. Always. always so if you, you can, know. if you can navigate that, you're all right. But Liverpool, they could blow hot and cold. But if we can do them at the Etihad on the 26th of April, uh, it stands us in good stead. It's almost too good to be true. I've, I've, I'm kind of, I'm kind of banking We're on that one. Race, as the... <laughs> We're in the race. <laughs> I'm kind of banking on the Etihad as kind of just being that banana skin. I'm not holding too much hope for that game. So as long as we can, you know, maintain our run throughout our other games and, you know, the thing with City is we often see them getting very strange results against lower teams and you would hope that they're going to go a lot further in the, Champions League this year, you know, obviously I don't want them to win it, but if it means we have a better chance with the league, then I'll absolutely, you know, swallow my pride and I'll accept that. That's fine. So, you know, I think we might see a few more weird upsets throughout the season. Oh, that's um, it, Lauren. Give the media something to chuck at them. It's because <laughs> City were in the Champions League. We have the Europa League, which I'm feeling pretty <laughs> confident about as that's well. what's going to happen though, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. No, I just, I just think, you know, City are going to have a lot of very, very hectic games and with no disrespect to the Europa League I mean they're going to be coming up against some big ballers on Tuesday, on Tuesday nights Wednesday nights and then they're going to have to play Manscaped you know, big ballers <laughs> hey, there's a connection there hey, that was unintentional right. <laughs> product placement I like it <laughs> Oh, you know what I mean. What I was trying to say is there's definitely going to be a few little, I think, hiccups along the way for City and more likely they're going to be some of their lesser opponents, as always is the way with them. Right. There's a few things left. Uh, Right. Nick, Martinelli, Saka, Saliba contracts. Martinelli's done five years. That's in the bank. Uh, Saka, apparently it's 10 million a year. He's on a five year contract. Uh, They're just finishing off dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And Saliba as well. This would be epic, wouldn't it? To get these three young players, uh, the nucleus of a really good, young, vibrant squad. It would be exceptional to do because we've sucked at it in the past. 
We've yeah. sold we've sold all our gems, haven't we? We've sold them just to pay for a stadium and uh, got absolutely sick of it. But this would be an amazing thing for Edu and Arteta to pull off. Yeah, they all have their own story, which makes it so much greater if they could stay. And uh, I mean, you'd like to think we're going to play in Champions League next year. So just to see those three players play on that stage would be tremendous and just see us continue to knock on from there. I mean, Saka being the academy boy, being the franchise back-to-back player of the season, and to see him stay, which, I mean, he's the crown jewel, not only of the academy, but of the club. He's the face of the franchise. So I don't think we realize how big it is to keep him. Not that he was flirting with other clubs about, or the idea of leaving, but until it's signed, I mean, and that extension is there now, I mean, we control that uh, Martinelli coming in for 6 million as a no name and seeing him make his way and being on the edge of superstardom. And um, they're both such different players, him and Saka, but um, having, having two attackers of their age and quality is uh, unbelievable. We couldn't go out and buy them. So to have them for a combined 6 million is just, I gotta say, we got kind of lucky <laughs> with that. And, uh, but we have to hedge, or bets on them. Uh, and Saliba, it's such a rocky just three years for him to get here. And all of a sudden he's here and everybody was talking about um, him not getting on with Mikel. And now he's started, I think, every league game and been just tremendous again at his age for his position is unbelievable. I mean, you can build a team around a center back and uh, what more could you ask for somebody in his first season with us. So getting all three of them would be just unbelievable. I mean, the thing was, I wasn't concerned about Martinelli because he came out with that sort of bog standard quote saying that all we've got to do is stick a contract in front of me <laughs> and I'll sign it. I'll stay here for the rest of my life, which was very positive uh, straight away, straight off the bat. And then Saka, I, I think he's been with us since he was 10, wasn't he? Or maybe a little bit younger. Um, he's Arsenal through and through. The club loves him. He loves the club. The supporters worship him. He's not going anywhere. I wasn't worried about that. But Saliba, what I was worried about was that that loaning out and all that. And we were all crying for him to come back because we were shit at the back at the time. <laughs> and uh, we wanted some positivity, some youth and some vibrance. And he kept being pushed out and pushed out. And I thought he's going to get to a stage where he's just going to say, do you know what? You obviously bought me, but you don't want me. You don't have any faith in me. I'm going to go to the first and the highest bidder. And that one worried me. But it seems to be, Podders, and I've been wrong before, you know, um, but it seems to be like it's all positive now. Do you agree, Lauren? Some yeah, of the stuff he's coming out with uh, and the performances, mm. he wouldn't play that well if he was unhappy, would he? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about contracts at the moment or, you know, throughout the season, you know, players come and going. Obviously, Tierney's the big one at the moment, but you don't really get the vibe that there's anybody in the team who's unhappy with where they are, that there's any bad eggs in the squad. Everyone seems really happy, really there for the team. And, you know, the, the players that we mentioned, I was particularly worried about Martinelli, especially kind of the turn of the season because, you know, last season he was getting so much praise from the likes of uh, Jurgen Klopp and, you know, these great managers. And you're kind of wondering, like, you know, if a player is a young player in, let's say, an unproven squad is getting this kind of attention, is he going to stick it out? But, you know, I think it's happened at the right time. We've kind of 
I don't say peaked, but you know, Arteta showing that he can absolutely, you know, stick it out with the the top guns in the league and having him sign having him sign for me was probably the the biggest turning point or the biggest positive and thinking, okay, you know what, we're actually gonna be able to maintain and keep our best talents, particularly the younger lads who come in from abroad who, you know, obviously Saka's a London boy, he has a lot of ties to the club, but Martinelli, he came over when he was a bit older. Yeah, he's kind of, you know, we developed him um, as a youth player a bit, but he's no ties to the club, you know, he could absolutely get up and go if if he got a better offer and to see him, you know, stay was really, really positive and first time in a long time I think you know okay actually this is where the big players want to be playing they want to be playing for us and we're able to to um, retain the talent that we've developed so it's overall it's really really positive and you know hopefully it's it's another one where we've next. got these players and because of their talent we can draw better mm-hmm. players in as well whereas we Absolutely. didn't have that in the past did we and there was an interesting one uh, from Martinelli because apparently he went for a trial at Man United and they said he was too weak uh, and he said I'm, I'm an Arsenal player because they have faith in me they trusted me and they wanted me so that that was a that was a no-brainer I think Saliba that deal will get done right one yeah. more bit um, Mikel Arteta on Kieran Tierney because we've all got this this feeling that he's going to clear off in the summer because he's not getting games. Uh, Arteta has come out and said, I don't know uh, about his future. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about what's best for the team. And obviously the players have to play minutes, uh, which they all deserve. Uh, We're going to try and do that in the next couple of games. Um, I still think it's not going to be enough to persuade him to be Zinchenko's boot man. Mm -hmm. Do you, Nick? No, I don't. And I think, I think, I mean, he's been a great servant for the club, but I think for the style that we're playing now, for the level that we're playing at, he just doesn't fit that. And that's nothing against him. I think he's a talented left back, but I think just very much old school in how he plays, which is just not the way that we play anymore. And yeah, I think if we can get a good fee for him, I think that's uh, plenty fair for us to, and fair to him to uh, to move him along. But I mean, it would also bolster us in other ways. To I mean, Arteta would probably go find some Ecuadorian to come in, and I mean, his his talent ID, especially after the Kivior signing. Not that he's played a minute for us, but you just uh, you're excited about players like that. You're just like I've never even heard of this guy. It just makes you think what he can do with. Uh, more positions like that. I would be sad to see him go, but I kind of understand it from both points of view because we could get a tidy sum for him. And uh, he he deserves, he's a great lad. I mean, some of the stuff that you see him do, the charity stuff, he met a, a kid in the tunnel, signed a shirt, invited him to a match. Um, it's, all, it's all top, top stuff that you don't expect of these Big-headed, overpaid players now, but he's really genuine. Uh, right, before we go, just to let you know, Podders, that we've actually broken through the 100 subscribers barrier on YouTube. Oh, yes. What a painful experience that was. We were stuck <laughs> 96 for what seemed like a century, and we've pumped through. So uh, thank you for that. Thanks for uh, your views and also for the audio podcast, which is approaching 40,000 plays. Absolutely not sideways by that. So let's just say, 
Let's just get the plug in. We've got the shirt on. The podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. The best in below the waist grooming. We are offering you a 20% discount with this code off the luxury grooming kit performance package 4.0. It is ARS03. So that's ARS03. So go on to manscaped.com, pop that in and you will get yourself 20% discount. Thank you podders for watching and listening. Thank you to Nick. When are you doing your podcast again? Uh, we're hoping to do another one. We released one today and we're hoping to get one post Everton pre Bournemouth. That's twice in a week for us. Seems like Oof. more than it is for the players <laughs> to play. So yes, hoping to get another one in before Saturday. Go and check them out. You can find us on Twitter at the Arsenal bros. It's myself and two other college friends that are American based supporting gooners um we've been going for about a year now you can find us on apple podcast and on spotify well we had one of your your crew on and he's not been back since so that was an experience wasn't it <laughs> they're hard they're hard to wrangle but you can't <laughs> it's uh hard for me to miss when you guys invite me so i always love jumping on we'll have to get you guys on to uh, always re- be return welcome. the favor absolutely lauren you take care in barcelona and uh oh, we'll Hopefully, you're wrong about that Arsenal game and uh, we can see the girls come up trumps, but uh, let's not hold our breath. Arsenal were back in action at the Emirates against an Everton side who had already sprung a surprise under Sean Dyche in their battle to hang on to their Premier League status. Arsenal were unchanged from their 1-0 win over Leicester in a match where they needed three points to put the pressure back on Manchester City. Although it turned out to be an enjoyable evening in the end, this game was a sloppy affair for the bulk of the first half with some dreadful and wayward passing that could have caused a setback with any other side that had a genuine goal threat. Sadly for Everton, they rely on their one recognised striker in their ranks, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and he just can't stay fit for any longer than it takes to boil the kettle. Just 17 goals in 25 games, the fewest in the league, shows you just how big a job this rescue mission is. Anyone thinking that Everton would get a similar result to the one at Goodison was wide of the mark. Although Arsenal spluttered on occasion, they finally burst into life. And who was it? Probably our player of the season. He showed again just why he's worth a five-year contract extension and a massive hike in wages. Bakayo Saka unleashed another collector's item in a season bulging with gems. This goal was from a precision pass by the excellent Zinchenko, who carved open the Everton defence to find Saka with a devastating pass. Pickford, so often the toffee saviour, could only look on as the roof of his net exploded from the youngster's right-footed thunderbolts. Everton went into meltdown as Gay was caught in possession and Martinelli hit the burners. Once he was clear, it was never going to be anything other than a goal. The young Brazilian has surely answered his critics who were questioning his form before the Villa game. Give him the ball to his feet or in front of him and you'll get goals. So 2-0 at half-time was more than anyone dared to think possible, especially after the first meeting between the two clubs. It was a much better Arsenal performance in the second half. How many times have we said that lately? And they put the result beyond doubt when a vibrant Trossard playing as a number nine crossed a low and inviting ball into the path of Odegaard. It took a deflection on the way into the net, but nothing was going to prevent this from being a goal because it was just yards out. The Arsenal bench is looking a lot healthier these days. At least Arteta has got two or three viable options from which he can choose. 
With five substitutions at his disposal, Arteta was often like an amateur magician reaching into the hat only to find he forgot to put the obligatory rabbit into the hidden compartment. No such problems this time. Eddie Nketiah came on for Trossard, cut the ball back from the left to the goal, and Martinelli did the rest. In terms of the current Premier League tussle, it's now all back in City's hands to go and get a result against Newcastle. Although Arsenal must maintain their current form in a match against Bournemouth, a side which appears on paper at least to guarantee three points. Pep Guardiola's men face a demoralised Newcastle after their Caribou Cup failure and Eddie Howe's side have to put the brakes on their disintegrating form if they're to get something from this season. Summing up, Arsenal dominated and overwhelmed a troubled yet hard-working Everton with an extremely impressive and satisfying performance, but not perfect. They showed flashes of brilliance with their superb passing game and their goals reaffirmed the belief that Arsenal are genuine contenders. It finished at the Emirates, Arsenal 4, Everton 0. Goal of the match surely has to be the opener from Bukayo Saka around the 40-minute mark. Player of the match, in my opinion, should go to Alexander Zinchenko, who just ripped Everton's defence apart at will. Now, did you hear about the lifelong Arsenal fan that was mistakenly buried in a Chelsea shirt? As his niece, Linda Daly, who is also a reporter at the Irish Sunday Times, explained on Twitter, My uncle David, a lifelong Arsenal fan, died on Saturday. As a nod to his beloved team, we decided to bury him in a gunner's jersey. His girlfriend carefully selected the least worn top from his collection. And when we arrived at the funeral home, we noticed that David was being buried in a Chelsea jersey. In her defence, it was an away Chelsea jersey from about 2003 when Emirates were the sponsors. She added someone must have bought it for him as a joke. If he wasn't dead already, he would have died of shock or chavitis. If someone had given me a Chelsea shirt as a joke, two things would have happened. One, we wouldn't be friends anymore. We wouldn't be speaking. I wouldn't look at them as they walk down the street. And two, I'd have to set it on fire. My thanks to Silent Dave. You can find him on Twitter as SilentDave101. That's also the home of Jay, who goes under the ball gooner. Paul is at PMACCAP. Lauren is at LaurenD2710. And Tom is at ThomasAnastasi3. You can also look up our brothers from across the pond, Nick, Ben and Kevin. They're at the Arsenal Bros. Shout out to Brandon Murphy, Simon DC of Gunners for Life, which is twin to the podcast, and Dave Miller from the Arsenal Attic. Look up Arse Devils for the latest features and breaking Arsenal news. The podcast is available on every social media outlet, including Twitter and TikTok. And you can follow, like or download on Spotify, Apple or Anchor. This episode was brought to you by Manscaped.com and the Performance Package 4.0, the best below-the-waist grooming kit. Want to get in touch? It's an Arsenal thing for at gmail.com. Until next time, look after yourselves and each other. And remember, North London is red.
Get to find them. I've got no.